Welcome to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. As always, I'm your host, Alex Thorne, head of firm-wide research at Galaxy Digital. We have a wild show today. It's been a crazy week. First, we're going to talk markets with Bimnet Abibi, as always. Then um, I'm going to give some thoughts and some background on this FTX Alameda situation. Real, really a a, a bad situation. Um, and but we're, we don't know everything. But I'll share what we can, what we do know, and what we can say. Um, and then we're going to get our friend Tyler Williams, the head of public policy at Galaxy, um, to weigh in on on the impact of FTX and in Washington on on crypto policy, but and also the midterm elections. It's going to be a, a wild one, and um, I'm happy you're here for it. Before we begin, though, please refer to the disclaimers in the link on the podcast notes and note that none of the information provided during this podcast constitutes investment advice or recommendation, solicitation, or offer by Galaxy Digital or its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. Got that disclaimer out of the way. Let's get to it. Welcome to our friend Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Digital Trading. Uh, great to see you, man. It's been a wild week, obviously. Um, you know, the FTX stuff has moved um, crypto markets dramatically. Um, but also, we just had a CPI print. Um, and and I guess the it's <laughs> inflation still increasing, uh, but at a slower pace than expected. Correct. Um, which is what? That's bullish? It is good. good. So, you know, what happened today was you, you got inflation numbers that came in lower than expected. So headline CPI came in at 7.7 versus expectations of, you know, 7.9. So you had a pretty significant miss to the downside. That miss was largely driven by, um, you know, uh, softness in things like used auto prices, health insurance, um, slightly lower rate of positive inflation on like rents and like yep. owner equivalent rent and, and housing. Um, and a couple other sort of idiosyncratic factors. Uh, but it's the first time in a really long time where inflation surprised to the downside. Um, and so the market, you know, has had a very violent reaction afterwards. Um, and the most immediate reaction was, was, was in the, the rate market where you basically started to price out uh, more than one full uh, hike. So front-end rates um, sort of... Uh, moved lower by about 35 basis points wow. today. And so you basically, with the most important part being that December is now looking like a 50. And that caused, you know, equities to rip higher as well. They were so big. I mean, I saw it. NASDAQ's point. up 6% as of Crazy. This, this podcast right Crazy. now. That's a function of a couple of different things. One, positioning, right? Folks are really short, um, you know, uh, or underweight equities. Right. Uh, two, base effects. Right. Like when you've come down so much, right, like small moves higher or tend to be higher percentage moves. Right. That's just how the, the, the math works. Of course. And three, the companies are are actually reacting to what they think was going to be a slowdown in uh, macro conditions next year. Right. You had Meta um, yesterday announced 11,000 job cuts um, today. You've had Amazon uh, announce, uh, you know, a lot of like cost-cutting measures that, that are coming. So you've got a, the market has a sense that these companies are going to be fiscally responsible. They're not just going to like let their revenues and profits decline without at least trying to tackle it from the expense side of the right. the, the the equation. And so you know the combination of positioning, good fundamental news that means the Fed has to be less hawkish, um, and um, you've had some pretty dovish Fed speak this, this morning as well. Um, the highlight of that Fed speak is, is 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 mainly in the context of, you know, they think that monetary policy is less laggy 
from a transmission mechanism perspective um, than originally thought. The idea being is, you know, mortgage rates going to seven percent, they might take six months, not eight months, to like fully filter into the economy. So there's a, a bit of that going on. Uh, but high level, I think you're exactly where Powell told you um, you were going to be, um, which is he told you at the SEP FOMC that you know they expected rates to go to four and a half percent. The last FOMC, he told you that given the data, we now expect rates to go beyond what we forecast in SEPA FOMC. So where are you now? You're implying 485, which is 475 to 5% band, which is exactly sort of where, you know, I think Powell told you he was you right. know, at FOMC, right? Uh, but the risks in my head are still skewed to the upside, right? So right now you're just having like a positioning, like driven like rally and sell off and other things. Uh, but fundamentally, this market is a market that's going to be driven by inflation. Yeah. Right. So we have to think about the the, the factors that that drive inflation, and the biggest one of the biggest factors is the labor market, and the labor market is still so strong. I mean, people have jobs. I get it. You know, you're seeing these like layoff announcements here and there, but at the end of the day, the unemployment has barely nudged any higher. Yeah. The, on a net basis, the the big number. The there's, open there's, job number went up. Yeah, right? I mean, there's so still way more job. Like there's over 10 million job openings. Right, in the, in and the that market. and that deficit between the large amount of jobs that are open and yep. the small number of people that are looking because they're already hired pushes wages up. Right, absolutely. And, and that's, that's a huge source. People feel wealthier when their paychecks are bigger, rightly so. Absolutely. And then they they're they're willing to accept higher prices at the pump, at the store, at the you know, at the bar, wherever, right? And wherever it may be. Yeah. And that which is one of these awful realities we've talked about, right? The dual mandate from the Fed. Like uh, I mean, they're in direct conflict thing. with each other right now. And there's a third one apparently, which is uh not to rock the boat on election day. <laughs> uh, but but so, we can get into that later. Yeah. In my head though, it, it's really like when this kind of like price action happens, it's it's like so counterproductive. It's like whatever like rates rally like crazy and stocks go go higher, it like that's gonna help drive inflation higher. Yeah. Right? It's like, okay. When Nasdaq's up six percent, if people are like not as panicked about stocks just like puking lower, like they're gonna spend more money. There's that's a the, positive that's that wealth effect. Wealth effect, yeah. exactly. Um, to like you know huge holdings of like U.S. consumers yeah. like, going up. It's right just... when the dollar sells off again because now U.S. interest rates and interest rate parity like they're going lower, right? That means our imports cost more, right? That means when oil in theory, is going to be higher on a dollar-denominated basis. Right. Right? And so it's so counterproductive right now, and markets tend to get way ahead of themselves. Right? So I think, you know, what Powell spoke about last meeting is, is really what you sort of have to pay attention to is what is the real risk for the Fed right now? Is it over-tightening? Right? Or is it under-tightening? And right. what are you like more comfortable living with and you right? you think and i i still think you should go into the over tightening camp right? right because the set of tools available that the fed has to react to an economic downturn are insane think about it this way right when we were cutting rates during covid you cut rates from like two percent and change right so you only had two percent and change to go right. down in right and you bought you know, $3 trillion of assets and 
you know, $120 billion per, per month of, of securities, like, thereafter, right? And so now you have, you know, you're going to have 500 basis points that you can cut, right? A much higher sort of wealth base and, like, consumers are, like, have a lot more savings and feel a lot more wealthier, right? right? And so you're in a really strong place. And so you have the ability to over-tighten without worrying too much about it because you can cut so much. You can go back to doing QE. Like, we know what happens when the Fed right. turns dovish, and that is all asset prices rip. And the other thing to keep in mind is I genuinely don't know if we will get another asset bubble like the one we just got. It is literally the the exact same as what you saw in 2000. You had, you know, meme coins, pet.coms, right? Yeah. Ripping to insane Literal, va- like, valuations. Literal, un- unprofitable meme stocks. like Homes selling within hours of listing. Yeah, I, I heard. Uh, uh, right. Yeah, I mean, selling Beach in cash. property. Like, s- selling in cash, like 200K over ask. I mean, insane stuff, right? Insane, insane, yeah. ludicrous levels of stuff. And so if you want to get back closer to an equilibrium, you're really gonna have to like tighten conditions yeah, so you're, in a you're, material you're, way. Yeah, your point here is they they they'd be better off over tightening than under tightening. Absolutely. Because if they screw up, or well, if there's a hard landing, which I mean, you know, if you over tighten, not just tighten, but let's say you tighten too much, then the implication is that the economy goes into a bad recession. Um, then they can they have tools for that. To your point, they have tools. Whereas if they let inflation run away. Um, it's very, very dangerous. And oh, for, it's, 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 like it's probably so dangerous. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but, but the other thing that I, I, I did leave out is um, the very obvious risk and, you know, one that everyone should be focused on, particularly in the context of like what just happened in crypto is financial stability, right? Like there's pockets of, of leverage business models that just don't work once you, you get to you know, super high levels of, of interest rates. And so there's a genuine concern for financial stability as you keep tightening and tightening financial conditions. And you saw that with the Bank of England, right? When their bond market literally blew up. Yeah. Right? This is a G, this is England. It's not like Paraguay or like... <laughs> Sometimes, no offense right? meant to Paraguay, but no, a tiny, no small country, for I love example. love my <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. Absolutely a huge uh, issue. Um, real quick, before we yep. end... Um, just broad thoughts on the crypto markets that now, I mean, obviously their CPI was beneficial, like the, the rise in, in, in risk that we saw today on Thursday was beneficial for Bitcoin and Ethereum and, 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 and other assets. But um, that's not the primary thing that's been moving uh, crypto prices this week. I mean, what have you seen with the fallout in the market from FTX? You know, I think the, the key things are trust. That's really the only thing that, that, that matters in, in markets. I come from a trading world where... I say done on a trade. That's it. You don't need. A, it's done. A, it's done. Right. Yeah. Like, and it's good as gold. The world right? is bond. But now it's like, who do you trust? Yeah. Right. If you can't trust the guy that was advertising on the Super Bowl that had Brady and Giselle and Steph Curry, FTX Arena, FTX Arena, testifying before Congress. Ah, oh, I mean, the right. Forbes cover. Right. Who can you trust? Right. Right. Um. And and so, you know, I definitely think that there's a uh, huge lack of, of trust. And it's not just the CFI institutions, but it's DeFi as well, right? You've had an insane amount of, of smart contracts exploits this year, right? And so when you throw that, like, if you think about it, you, 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 you've lost a lot of trust in, in CFI institutions, right? Because a big one just went away. DeFi, you're not comfortable with with the the smart contract risk, so you're just left with like a very like trustless, you know, investor base. Yeah. Um, 
But I think the my key takeaway from that is that the future needs to be as decentralized as possible, right? Like, I don't want to take counterparty risk anymore yeah. in my head. Right? At least right I now, you. I might change my mind in no, ten no, minutes. I get it. But like, it's like I just want to know for sure, like w- that it's all rule based. I mean, the way I the, think the about margining it. is all rule based, and I'm guaranteed to get my my, yeah. my stuff out and. It's in a in a blockchain that is likely not going to get exploited unless I do something stupid. Yeah, I mean, I the way I think about this is is that if you're there's going to be centralized service providers, there's going to be CFI in every market to be compliant, uh, but they should be regulated and transparent. I mean, this is where. But and if you're not that, then you need to be fully decentralized, right? There cannot be this black box, opaque middle ground. Um, And you know, I it's been really surreal watching this happen while we're here at Galaxy, one of the only two publicly traded with publicly audited financial trading firms in crypto, right? I mean, we we are significantly more transparent by nature of being a publicly traded company than, you know, a, a, a buy side, you know, market maker like Alameda or or even basically any exchange on earth, I think, other than Coinbase, right? So between, um, I, I think you got to be one or the other. I mean, you have to be transparent and regulated or you've got to be fully decentralized. I don't think there's a middle ground. I think you're 100% spot on. Bimnet, Abibi, Galaxy Digital Trading, thank you for joining us as always, my friend. Happy to be here. All right, let's talk about the big news this week. FTX, Alameda um, appears to be a huge blow up. Um, it's been widely reported now on the today's Thursday um, that in multiple outlets, the Journal and Reuters have reported that Client funds specifically were lent by FTX to Alameda, uh, meaning funds belonging to depositors on the exchange, FTX International, FTX.com, um, were sent to Alameda for some purpose. Um, this is something that I think the crypto community over the last couple of days has come to assume. Um, there was a really, truly excellent analysis performed by uh, a friend of ours and someone we respect a lot, Lucas Nuzzi, the head of labs at Coinmetrics. Um, that thread was widely shared on Twitter. He found some on-chain data that suggested um, significant flows from FTX to Alameda um, over the summer and at the end of the spring, and the implication being that Alameda had some kind of blow-up um, at the end, uh, you know, during the events of of the spring that with all the CFI lenders and all all that stuff, um, and and was I guess replenished in some way by FTX clients, um, unbeknownst to them. Um, I will disclose, uh, which has been disclosed already, Galaxy was a user of FTX um, in order to perform our trading business for our counterparties and uh, clients. We have funds on many exchanges, right? And we manage that actively. Um, We disclosed during our public earnings call on Wednesday that we had about 77 million of exposure on the FTX exchange, right? So literally funds on the exchange that um, are, are currently not being processed for withdrawal, right? So, and there's many others um, in the in this industry. Um, some have been public, some have been, have said they have exposure. Some, very few have detailed it. Um, and I will say, um, I think we're, we're the probably the most specific that has detailed it. And that's by virtue of us being a public company and having those responsibilities. Um, you know, I don't wanna fully speculate too much what actually happened here, but there's a lot of key takeaways, I think, to, to talk about. Um, it's, f- first of all, it's just very obvious that if <laughs> there's a liquidity crisis at an exchange that's not supposed to have any uh, leverage itself, 
that means there's money missing, right? So that's why people knew. I mean, when withdrawals halted in particular, it becomes very clear. This is a thing where you put your money on the exchange or your coins and you want to swap them between things, right? And in the case of FTX, you could also do futures and other and other derivatives. Um, the money's supposed to be sitting there though. If you, right, it's not, when you see a balance in this exchange, it's supposed to, it's supposed to be there. It's not supposed to be lent to some other party. It's not supposed to be, uh, you know, be, being used for speculation by an affiliated market-making firm. Um, it's not supposed to be used for yield farming. It's not supposed to be doing anything. It's not even supposed to be sitting in treasuries. I think one time uh, during this saga, Sam Bankman-Fried, when he was still claiming that all the money was there, um, he said, we, we don't invest client funds, not even in treasuries, he said. Well, treasuries would be bullshit also. That money's supposed to sit there as I deemed it as a customer. And, you know, it's very, you can tell I'm very angry about this because um, of all types of blowups in finance, this is the one major, the, the worst thing you can do if, if what we think happened happened misappropriating client funds is the worst financial crime that can be done as far as I'm concerned. And that's what it appears happened. Um, I mean, there was also, I mean, from a pure story standpoint, if we step back here and, and, and I'll talk about what I think the impact is on crypto markets generally um, and, and the long, medium and long-term prospects for this industry uh, in a minute. But when you step back and think about the saga that this has been, um, you know, on, I'll just recount some of the timeline. So on Wednesday of last week, Coindesk published a story uh, apparently having viewed a leaked copy of Alameda's balance sheet. And it, it took, it's interesting, you know, we all sort of looked at it, you know, people that watch this industry were looking at it with peculiarity. Uh, it's kind of weird. It, it looked like they, they had no Bitcoin. They, they did. I don't think they had any ETH. <laughs> they had a, a ton of Solana. A lot of it was locked. They had a, a, a ton of FTT. Um, FTX's own coin. And that's really where this like sort of all the fears really emanated out of this FTT position. Um, so after, after about 24 hours, I think the market was digesting this. Everybody started to say, wait a sec, this balance sheet is super illiquid, right? They had something like what Coindesk had published said something like 14 ish billion in assets against seven point something billion in liabilities, which were loans, right? They had, they owed money. Um, and, but the problem was the collateral listed on there was super illiquid, right? FTT's their own token. Very, it's, it, it was, it was widely, uh, it was very centrally owned. Like the, the, I forget the numbers here and we looked this up a few days ago, but it's already, it's already passed me. But a, a huge percentage of the FTT supply was owned by a very small number of entities. And it's primarily FTX, Alameda, and then probably some huge users of FTX.com that, um, uh, and, and it was Binance. Binance owned a lot of it, I guess, by virtue of having been an early FTX investor, CZ, uh, which they exited that position, um, that venture position, I guess, as part of the exit or something, they received something like $2 billion in FTT, which they've been holding. So um, on Thursday, people started to like really start talking about this balance sheet. And then um, on Friday, um, something like 23 million units of FTT worth over $500 million at the time was seen moving onto the exchange, onto Binance, I think, at the time. Everyone's like, this is a huge, especially for that coin, that's a huge amount of units to be, right? The assumption in on-chain analysis when it comes to trading is that if something moves onto the exchange, it's likely to be sold because you don't move it there and do nothing, 
right? And, you know, if coins come off of an exchange, you assume that they were purchased, right? It's pretty simple. It's not always true, but it's it's a heuristic. So this was all over Twitter. The, the Whale Alerts uh, Twitter uh, account had published this, uh, which they do on an automated basis. And people started to speculate that this could be Binance, like this looks like Binance. There was actually a fair amount of speculation uh, that it was Binance. And then CZ... Um, on Saturday confirmed the CEO and founder of Binance that it was Binance. And, and I, the tweets were pretty cryptic. Um, he basically said, you know, uh, it's not like cause of anything in particular, but um, you know, we manage our positions actively. And so we'll be dumping $2 billion of FTT. Um, and he said he would do that over a course of time, such to not move the market. But of course this caused, I, I, I it's not clear whether he did do it over a, a nice period of time, but it started to cause panic um, about FTX in general, right? This is FTT is this exchange token, which is a, in and of itself a sort of a, a, a like a, a peculiar and nebulous type of toke, type of crypto asset that's not doesn't really exist in traditional worlds. These exchange tokens, but a lot of people, like rightly or wrongly, look at exchange tokens as some sort of proxy for the health of the exchange itself. Um, and FTT started trading down. Um, on Sunday, SBF and CZ started basically going at each other a little bit on Twitter. And I think part of the, there was an accusation made by CZ that um, it, it's not a good look. I forget the exact language, but it's not a good look when you're talking about, um, talking with regulators and lobbying behind our back, Binance, against us. And I, I think there's probably, there was another tweet from Sam actually several weeks ago, Sam Bankman-Fried, um, where they were saying, gosh, it's great if Binance is going to get involved in uh, in Washington lobbying. Um, he can come to D.C., right, is what Sam tweeted. He's since deleted that tweet. Um, the implication being like, I don't know, would CZ be arrested if he came to Washington? I mean, and so there's clearly was like some no love lost between these two guys, at least specifically around Sam's Washington lobbying efforts. Um, that's what CZ said on Twitter on Sunday. Um, there were several on, on, on Monday, um, FTX started to experience problems with withdrawals. Um, Alameda uh, was found on chain to have been removing assets from um, DeFi protocols, as in like withdrawing, gathering all their capital together. They had, I think, a compound position they wound down um, something in gearbox which is like a generalized uh, derivatives uh, platform i guess uh, or maybe lending um, and so it, it looked like they were circling the wagons right so again now at this point it's starting to be a little bit of a fever pitch so on tuesday um ftx halted withdrawals in the morning um and uh and then and then uh no one knew what was going to happen this is like Maybe it was like 6 a.m. It was seen to halt, 6 or 8 a.m. on Tuesday. Um, by 11, however, both CZ and SBF tweet that um, there's a deal, that they've signed, they've each signed a non-binding LOI for FTX.com to be acquired by Binance pending due diligence. Now, FTX.com is the big FTX. It's the international FTX. It's not FTX US, which is, as, as far as we know, a fully separate entity. Um, and again, I say that because we we don't really know. I don't actually know. <laughs> I think people are, given the ties between Alameda and FTX, you have to start wondering, sure, it's not crazy to wonder if FTX US is involved in this. But I will say that FTX US, as far as we're aware, didn't, never has halted withdrawals. 
Um, so, and, and it would make sense for it to be different um, because that's the whole reason they made it so that they could have a regulated U.S. version of their exchange. But anyway, that that was explicitly not included in this supposed deal. It was, they both said specifically FTX.com. Um, and then we all waited to find out what would happen. And ultimately <laughs> the next day, thir- uh, what is it now? <laughs> Wednesday. So Wednesday, um, CZ backs out of the deal. And he basically says it's too bad for us. It's too big. The hole is too big, whatever it is. It's, it's something, I forget the exact language, but we can't fix it, right? It's beyond our capability to fix. Um, at this point, we start to get real reports, right? I mean, now we're now we start to see the media is, first of all, the media was all over this on Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, anyway, I, I, there's not really much more news after that, except that we've gotten reports now that the hole could be 8 billion, I think Wall Street Journal says, Um which is just insane because I'm pretty sure FTX had about 16 billion total in client assets. That would mean that they had lent half of their exchange's assets to, well, if it's Alameda, then it's to themselves. To It's to Sam's prop firm. Like, um, But to be clear, they shouldn't be lending it to anyone. That's the, that's the real core point, right? This is custody. Um, it's not custody if you give my assets away, which is, it's just unbelievable behavior if that's true. Um, but we're in a spot now where we have the most prominent crypto advocate in Washington, a seeming wonderkind who built a uh, an empire out of nothing in, in two and a half, three years, who pledged uh, to give $10 billion of his money away to charity over the next 10 years, who had spent lavishly on political campaigns and advocacy, um, who believes supposedly in effective altruism, says that he wants to get rich so he can help the world, um, is extremely public, is is on Twitter on a regular basis. You you have this this guy completely blow up his entire business. Um, and in this case, and unlike some others that have happened this year, but but also like some others, at the expense of his clients. And that type of misappropriation cannot go unpunished in, in any market. Um, and I you know I don't know how this is going to resolve, but. I will say that the crypto markets are going to be punished by this. And of course they have been on a, you know, the liquid crypto Bitcoin trade was at almost at 21 K traded all the way down to 50 in the 15s. Um, I think today, as we write, as we, as we record this, it's trading in the 17, six range, which is sort of like June lows um, when the three arrows capital situation happened. Um, but we went below that already, which is pretty unsettling. Um, and but all the FTX linked to- projects and tokens, the Solanas, the um, which is linked because Sam Bankman-Fried had been a huge proponent of Solana. I mean, it's not actually linked, as far as I know, in any way. Which you know is hopefully that um, which should be good for the Solana community that there isn't actually, except that Sam owned a lot of it and promoted it a lot. Um, Solana Serum, these other assets that are which are is an exchange on. Um, on Solana, um, all down crazy bad. I mean, I, I don't even know where Solana is now, but after, on Wednesday, when I last looked yesterday, Solana was trading down like 66% from its high over the weekend, um, which is when the Solana Foundation had their uh, Breakpoint Conference in Lisbon, which is, I'm told, a great conference. Um, one of our guys, Saul Kadir, was there, said it was awesome, um, but a big fall. Um, so markets are hurting because of this, real breach of trust at what was seen as a core market infrastructure. And I will just add to, I mean, you know, I, I don't know exactly, but 
you know, minor silver lining, I guess, for Americans, and I don't, I don't think it will go a long way when it comes to regulators and policymakers, is that this is mostly an offshore international exchange, not a U.S.-based regulatory regulated one. Um, and so I think, you know, depending, I'm not going to name any other names because I don't want to cause any issue, but if it were some other one, um, mom and pop would probably be hurting a lot more. I mean, it looks to me like this is a lot of professional traders and trading firms that primarily used FTX. So I don't know if that is a silver lining. I mean, we're one of them, so we're pretty upset about it. But, um, you know, it, it doesn't seem like this was people DCAing in their, their weekly paychecks at FTX for the most part. But I, you know, I don't know if that's totally right, but maybe that's something. Um, but for the crypto narrative, this, this is a huge, huge blow, probably mostly because he, now not the real narrative, certainly Bitcoin and ETH unaffected, right? Like they're trading lower, but for the institutional adoption of crypto assets as an asset class, this is a major setback because um, this is key market infrastructure. This is a guy who testified before Congress calling for regulations, saying that what happened in 2008 and 2009 in traditional financial markets can't happen on FTX. He literally said that, right? Well, I, honestly, this looks a lot worse than a lot of the stuff we saw happen in 0809. This type of mis intentional appear apparently at intentional misappropriation of client money. Um, and, and that it, it will be a setback for the crypto narrative in Washington. Um, and it will be a setback, I think for institutional investors, a lot of, a lot of institutional investors, uh, big allocators and pensions have, have, have invested into crypto through venture capital because the peculiarities of crypto assets make it harder for them to go directly into the asset. Um, and this was a blue chip VC investment FTX. I mean, I'm not going to list all the, the folks who invested, but major pensions and some of the world's biggest investors. Um, and I will say one, because they reported themselves, Sequoia was one and they said they're marking it to zero. Right. And, I, I'm not, I haven't seen any of the FTX stuff, but like that seems prudent based on what we know, right? Or what we think and what we know. So um, that's a huge zero. It was last valued at 32 billion, I think in their prior, their previous publicly disclosed financing. So that's a 32 billion to zero for those investors, which is rough. Again, these are the investors in FTX.com, the business, not the traders and users who deposit exchange stuff onto the exchange. As we've already said, we're, um, one of those, and we, uh, people like us have withdrawals frozen. I don't know. We don't know if it's there. We know we can't get it right now. Um, so anyway, I mean, I just want to, you know, I've been, I've been in, um, crypto and, and, and in Bitcoin for a long time. And, um, there's been a lot of stuff like this, you know, you got Mt. Gox an exchange that also kind of did the same thing. Most people think they lost the funds, didn't steal them, but you know, cause that's technically better than <laughs> stealing them. Um, there's Mt. Gox, there is, there was, you know, other exchanges have been hacked. You know, there was the Bitfinex hack and they found those, Razzle Khan, um, that's her name. I forget her real name, but that's her rap name. The, the, she lived like in an apartment in Wall Street was found to have had like the 3 billion of Bitcoin that had been stolen from Bitfinex um, just, just this year, which is just a hilarious um, turn of events in terms of who that was. But there've been a lot of things like this. Um, but this one, given um, the prominence of FTX in Washington, I think in particular is the reason that it hurts so much um, and just how, how public he was. So um, look, I mean, that's, that's all. We're going to bring on uh, Tyler Williams from uh, our public policy team to talk more about Washington. Also, we'll talk about the election. I do want to tell everyone there's been bad stuff. 
this is bad, but like crypto is going to survive Bitcoin and like in Ethereum and, and, and anything that's truly decentralized is going to survive. It's just that the, the narrative of the growth of this industry, like we have to come out of this somehow you cannot, you simply cannot let an exchange do this to people. It just can't happen. Right. So something is going to have to give. Um, and that's what I said with BIMnet a few minutes ago. Um, it, we want a lot of stuff fully decentralized. We, we definitely do. Like we take Bitcoin, right? It doesn't work if it's not fully decentralized. It's essential. But if there's going to be service providers that are companies that operate in this space, like this is, this is an exchange. It's literally like the heart of finance. Imagine if the New York Stock Exchange stole all of your Apple stock and lent it to someone. It's unbelievable, right? It can't happen. So um, look, I'm proud at Galaxy that we are, I think as far as I can tell, at least one of the two most transparent companies by virtue of our structure. Um, and that's that's just the, gonna be the way this has to go. Like it can't, this can't happen again. And and But it's gonna be hard to, bring the institutional institutions back um, um, without without something like that. Um, this was seen to be one of the most trusted venues and um, it apparently was not. So, um, hey, but again, Bitcoin and ETH, uh, they're here to stay. You know me, I'm a Bitcoin guy, but I've, I've come around on Ethereum as well. Uh, um, so those things are fine, functioned as normal. So, you know, if you're stacking sats, you know, TikTok, next block, the blockchains are working, but we need some help here in the... We need transparency. Quick break for our listeners. Uh, the results from last week's poll, we asked, who do you think will win the ZK EVM race? More than half, 51% said Polycon ZK EVM. ZK Sync came in second, Scroll came in third. This week though, we're asking a different question related to FTX. And the question is, what portion of funds do you think FTX depositors will eventually get back from the exchange? All of it, more than 50%, less than 50%, or none of it? Hit us up on Twitter at GLXY Research and make your voice heard. That poll is pinned to our profile. Now back to the show. Let's go now to our friend Tyler Williams, head of public policy at Galaxy Digital. Uh, Tyler, it's been a crazy week in Washington. How, how, how are you doing down there, first of all? And great to have you back. Thanks for having me back. Uh, I'm doing well down here. It's sunny. We're anticipating uh, some rain from the hurricane coming in. So I think the, the mood is going to become even more dour than it is in Washington <laughs> right now. When it rains, it pours. Um, Tyler, so the FTX situation, which we've been talking about uh, throughout this podcast, it has a unique impact on in Washington and on crypto policy, given how active Sam Bankman Freed was uh, in supporting uh, legislation and working with policymakers, how public he was. Um, what are you hearing for, uh, down there? Ha has everyone been talking about it? Um, just what's been the reaction from your friends and, and, and people that you work with closely in Washington? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's totally consumed the airspace and it's obviously consumed the airspace for me because I, I work in uh, the digital asset policymaking arena. Um, but I, I think even, you know, withstanding the elections, it's been pretty much the constant theme of attention across all of my friends in Washington and across policymakers, um, just because of how um, how much the digital asset policymaking community has grown in Washington over the past year, and then 
the sort of traction that the industry has received over the past six months in terms of advancing legislation and uh, building momentum behind ideas. So I think it's, it's really consumed the airspace uh, in addition to the election this week. And are people um, angry? Are they bewildered? Like, how would you describe the reaction? I, I think it's a little bit of both. And it's, it's both in the sense that when you're a policymaker or when you're a staffer on uh, the Hill or a regulator and you're working to understand an issue, a lot, a lot of times these, the issues and solutions to problems come up from direct advocacy from companies. Sometimes you hear them from their constituents. And, you know, if you're someone on Capitol Hill, like usually what you try to do is look to identify a, an issue, create a solution to that problem. And then you want to tie it back to your local state or uh, congressional district that um, so you can uh, have a, a positive message for solving a problem for your constituents. So now you have a problem on both ends of the uh, spectrum here. You have constituents that feel burned. Uh, you have policymakers and staffers who feel burned from a perspective of working on an issue, trying to solve a problem, spending all of the dedicated time to get something done on a bipartisan basis. And you sort of have the rug pulled out from underneath you. And oftentimes these, these ideas and solutions to problems, they can come, come about pretty quickly. And it takes a lot of work to build towards a consensus. And you'd seen that in, in both chambers, really, in the authorizing committees from the Financial Services Committee and from the uh, Senate Ag Committee, where we've seen a lot of staff work that's happened and principles from a from senator level and from a member of Congress level being heavily invested in advancing, creating progressive solutions to problems in the digital asset space. And they feel as if this is another setback. He was so active and then so much had so much become the face of crypto policy in Washington. It's clear that people are burned. And, and I just want to play this video of SBF at a, at a congressional hearing, um, you know, and let's let's we'll use that to set this up. There's a lot of videos out there of Sam Bankman Freed that especially knowing what we know now uh, are extremely cringe. Um, but I'm going to play this one <laughs> and uh, of, of Sam Bankman Freed testifying in Congress. Last thing that I'll say is if you look at what precipitated some of the 2008 financial crisis, you saw a number of bilateral, bespoke, non-reported uh, transactions happening between financial counterparties, which then got repackaged and re-leveraged again and again and again, such that no one knew how much risk was in that system until it all fell apart. If you compare that to what happens on FTX or other major cryptocurrency venues today, there is complete transparency about the full open interest. There is complete transparency about the positions that are held. There is a robust, robust, consistent risk framework applied. And we're excited to work with the CFTC on our uh, U.S. licensed and regulated venue. So, uh, I, I, you know, look, we don't know everything at all yet about this situation, but um, we do know that there was not complete transparency. We do know, it appears, at FTX. And we do know that there was not a robust risk framework if the size of the hole in FTX's balance sheet is uh, is as reported. Um, so, Tyler, I mean, you're if you're a staffer um, or, or, or a member or a senator themselves, 
Um, and you work with a, a wonderkind, um, and he's a leader in the space of a new space, and your constituents are interested in the space, and you're interested in the space, and you want to advance it, and you get a lot of support from this person on policy, um, and, and they're saying things like that, but then it turns out that they are perhaps the source of the problem or one of them. I mean, how upset are you? I, I think you're immeasurably upset by this and almost feel as if you were um, sort of duped, so to speak. And it, it reminds me of some of the historical crises that we've had. If you remember, you know, prior to the 08 crisis, it was very pervasive, the impact that Fannie and Freddie had in Washington policy. And then you fast forward a couple of years later and they're in conservatorship owned by the government. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying this situation and the facts were going to repeat to be the same, but it makes you feel if you're a policymaker that the efforts that you were working on to enshrine the space, they are sort of all for naught. And um, I, I think you can end up having situations where this spurs legislative action and spurs regulatory action, but it can also set you back in terms of alienating the very supporters that you've worked so hard to build. And I think it's an, entirely the situation that in Washington, uh, FTX and uh, Sam Bankman-Fried were, ve were very prevalent in terms of Washington policy circles and testifying in front of House congressional committees about the efficacy of their legislative proposals and so forth. So I think it's immeasurably how much this impact could have in the short term and then how much rehabilitation needs to take place to re-ingratiate and re-ingrain yourself in terms of being credible stewards on behalf of the industry. Yeah, it's 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 clearly uh, going to be a big setback there in Washington. Um, I, I think just broadly is what you're saying, like our 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 friends in, in Congress, the crypto industry's friend, and I don't even mean that they're friends, but the people that are advocating for responsible regulation and 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 policy, your your fear is that they're going to be not receptive any longer to crypto. It's not necessarily a fear of them being not receptive. In some in some ways, I think it can help push policymakers and regulators to a position of really putting some tight guardrails around the space. So for those. Um, companies and those trade associations have been advocating for responsible regulation, we could see that almost advance faster. It just makes people mm -hmm. who are pushing those, uh, those, that agenda more weary and less likely to just, be, just take the advice and counsel of people who are in the industry themselves. I see. Yes. So and usually the old adage, and I think it was uh, former chief of staff to um, uh, President Obama said, you know, never waste a, a crisis in a policymaking space. Like we are in sort of a, a crisis era. So in some ways you could see it uh, fast tracking legislation. It's just usually when that happens, the net the net impact of that law ends up being more punitive than it otherwise would have been. Right. So let's talk about the election. Um, which <laughs> I, was anyone watching the election on Tuesday? I remember I, I normally am a big political watcher and love watch love election day. Um, and I didn't check the results until about 4 a.m. the next morning. <laughs> I was so uh, we were so fixated on the drama between at the time uh, SBF and CZ from Binance. Um, what happened in the election this week? Yeah, yeah it was funny you say that. I, I Obviously, I'm in D.C. I've worked in politics, policy, and finance since 2011. And I went to a, 
a good friend's election party. It was just a really like a small gathering at dinner and everyone was talking about the FTX um, situation, <laughs> uh, despite it being filled with a group of lawyers, sort of policy people in Washington. Not, not talking about the election that much. Not, well, people were talking about the election, obviously, um, but this was yeah. a major theme. I think if you were like to tick off the one, two, three themes, it was it was in there in the top three of like what people were asking about. And I think the other interesting <laughs> thing is like, I was the only person who was in the digital asset space there. Everyone else was a lawyer or um, not, not uh, related to crypto at all. Yeah, the, not the, related to crypto at all, yeah. other than being in D.C. So what did happen on the election, though? It, it, it looks to me like it's mostly a wash, which is, uh, I guess, a surprise to many in the media. But what's your take? And, and, and where are we? Yeah. So, I mean, the balance of power is unknown right now. Right. In, in the Senate, um, we still have a number of undecided races. So the balance of power is still in flux. In the House, uh, there are a number of races that have yet to be called. Uh, but it looks like we're trending towards. Uh, a Republican House, so a change in the in the control of the um, the House chamber. I think the the macro themes, and this isn't shocking to anyone, is that um, it, it's viewed as rep- Republicans largely underperformed in the environment. And I think that uh, if you were a Republican expecting to take control over both chambers as sort of a repudiation on uh, the president. Uh, typically what we've seen in past um, midterm cycles is that the party that's not in power has fared better. That seems to be true for Republicans. It's just not as pronounced as people thought it would be. And I, I, I suppose I have a, a few key takeaways from it. And it seems like this, uh, this midterm election cycle was largely about sort of abnormalities on both, in both parties. On the the Democratic side, it seemed like the trends from an inflation level and from a consumer confidence level and from uh, sort of the macro environments from crime to um, the the historic levels of like uh, drug drug overdoses, et cetera. That would be like the driving thematic trends that would oppose um, Democrats. And on the Republican side, uh, you had some pretty uh, staunch actions in the Supreme Court. And those top line themes there. Reproductive rights. Exactly, exactly. And then also, you know, just the the looming thing that stands out is that the predominant figure of the Republican Party uh, lost the presidential election, still serves as like the the key point person (laughs) for uh, the party. So it was largely about abnormalities. And to me, um, I I can't remember the exact trend, but no no president has won a re-election facing a major economic crisis since like the 30s, basically. Yeah. And historically in the midterms, we've seen like the off party win more. So it seems like this is a little bit of an anomaly of a an election cycle. But, you know, anomalies are only relative to current history. So do you think um, so? And it, it's going to be tight, right? I mean, we don't know the Senate yet, but it looks like we could be headed for uh, it, we could end up right where we are at a 50-50. But it, it, even if Republicans can flip it, it'll be like 51-49 probably, right? It's like barely. Um, but if we assume that the House does um, go into the control of the Republicans, then we will flip all the committee chairs, right? The committees will yeah. become right. So, for example, if Republicans uh, win the House, then uh, Maxine Waters will become the ranking member on the House Financial Services Committee and Patrick McHenry will become the chair of the Financial Services Committee. And th- these are the two uh, members that had been working on that 
stablecoin legislation in House Financial Services. Maybe with that as an example or, or, or anything else that makes sense, how would that impact crypto policy in your mind, if at all? Yeah, so that's probably like the most under underscored thing here is that if if and when the House does flip to Republican, the margins by which it's going to do are much less than what we thought. And what that means is if you're the Speaker of the House, presumably that's going to be Kevin McCarthy from California, um, when and if he comes in to be the Speaker, he's going to have to manage a very tight uh, margin. So the House is all governed by, can you get to 218 votes in the House? And then there's a number of different uh, protocols or, or ways that you can bring votes to the floor. What uh, incoming presumptive Speaker McCarthy has said is that he wanted to give a lot of deference to the committee chairs to work their will and for that to really drive policy. My having worked for a speaker before, that works if you have a large majority and then you can sort of have an, an incubation um, process that can lead to the development of policy to bring to the floor. That is going to be much more difficult if you're managing getting to 218 on a constant basis. And what I mean by that is if, if you're managing 218 um, members and their votes, it all comes down like everyone has birthdays, they have graduations, they have things to go to. And if you want people to show up to votes, you're going to have to um, have it be around pretty pronounced prominent things. And or you're going to have to get to a suspension level vote, which is basically getting to 300 votes for the entire House. So you have to do it on a, a bipartisan basis. So I think the incoming speaker is going to really have to manage the committees in a more um, direct manner. And he's going to have to bring he or she is going to have to bring bills to the floor that can garner either like really large support of the entire chamber, entire House, which is basically a bipartisan measure. Or it's going to be really difficult to advance things. So not likely then to have a huge impact, I guess, like whether it's Patrick McHenry or Maxine Waters in that specific example for, for something that particularly in this case was bipartisan, right? I mean, do you think? I, I would say it could have an impact, but it will be more incumbent on the authorizing committee leadership, such as um, Patrick McHenry, who's the presumptive incoming chair of the Financial Services Committee. He is going to have to sell crypto policy as a caucus matter to the entire Republican conference. And so there are these um, meetings that take place. Oh, you mean even to get it on the agenda? To get it on the agenda. Yeah. And like he's really going to have to own that mantle. And you can do it from a couple perspectives. You can do it from an oversight perspective or you can do it from I know we can get this level of support from both parties and this is a good way that we can demonstrate um, that we can work across the aisle and get something done for the American people. Tyler Williams, head of public policy at Galaxy Digital. Thank you for joining, my friend. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week. Everyone stay safe out there. If you're in the south, uh, southeast, watch out for Hurricane Nicole, which is coming, I guess, when it rains, it pours. Um, have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for listening to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. If you enjoy the show, please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To follow Galaxy Research, sign up for our weekly newsletter at gdr.email, read our content at galaxy.com research, and follow us on Twitter at glxyresearch. See you next week.